Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. We've been talking in our times together about the greatness of the gospel. We've talked a lot about the idea that the good news, gospel meaning good news, the announcement of something God has done is so wonderful and it's so simple that it's almost confusing. And people over the centuries have been confused by it. And it is completely counterintuitive to everything we know about our world because everything is about earning. Everything is about you get what you deserve in our world. We've grown up in a world where everything is about cause and effect. Many people don't know that, but there's a a religious word they use and they use it in their regular language. They talk about karma, right? You get what's coming to you. That's how we have been brought up. It's all around us. We don't even think about it. Of course, people get what they deserve. And then God comes and says, I have a different plan for you. Because I love you, full stop, that's all. Because I love you, because of my love for you, I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you an ability, an opportunity, an invitation to be made right with God by doing nothing but trusting me. He sends his son Jesus to die in our place, to take away our sins, to redeem us from this present evil age to do all the multiple things that salvation involves, and it's nothing of our works, nothing of our goodness, nothing of our righteousness, nothing to do with us, all to do with him. You don't get to earn it. In fact, if you try to earn it, you can't earn it. That's the one way not to have the salvation of God is to try to earn it. You can't get it if you try to earn it. You can only get it if you trust Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in Jesus, will have eternal life, will have the life of the ages. So we've been talking about that, right? Is anyone with me? You were here? Okay. (laughs) The gospel of grace. Jesus plus nothing is another way we said it. And we dipped a little bit into some verses from a book in the Bible called Galatians. But today we're going to start actually reading Galatians together. It's a short little book, as I often tell you, um, trying to encourage you to read the Bible. So this is the size of my Bible. This is the size of a piece of paper, right? So it's not even the size of a full piece of paper. Galatians is like two pages. So two half pages. So don't tell me, I just can't read these giant books in the Bible. It's just too much, Ron. I don't have time. I've got to watch Netflix. So one. Oh, I I was wrong. It's it's four four and a half of these little half pages. You can read the book of Galatians. Okay, here's your challenge. I would love for you to, over the next weeks, read it multiple times. Can you handle that? You will discover that if you read the Bible, and if you talk about it, and if you think about it, and you talk about it with friends, and you stop, and you wait till it speaks to you, you will be transformed, because these words are inspired, breathed by God himself for life. And this particular book is super important because it changed the course of history. There was a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther in the 1500s. 
And this is the thing that changed his life. He was a man who was a very good man who tried to be good. And the gooder he tried to be, the sadder he was. Because no matter how good he tried to be, he realized that he had a weight of sin that he could not deal with. And the more he studied the scriptures and learned about his sin, the heavier he got until he ran into these words at Paul's hand, the just shall live by faith. And it just exploded in his mind. That's it. All I have to do is put my faith in Jesus. It's not about how much money I give. It's not about how many Hail Marys I say or, or our fathers. It's not how much service I do. It's not how good I am at not sinning. It's nothing to do with me. The just will live by faith. And he was saved and born again. And out of that came the Reformation that changed Western civilization. And we're a part of today, 500 years of history that happened because someone read the book that we're going to start reading today. Changed his life. So it's written by a guy by the name of Paul. And today all we're going to do is a little intro by doing the backstory. You know how you'd like to get the backstory when you read a book or you watch a movie. Sometimes after you watch some adventure, you go and you watch the backstory. Is anyone with me? You do? Okay. So we're going to do the backstory today. Okay. Um, and we'll open the book if we get to it. Uh, we will get to it. I believe it. Um, and I'm going to pray and dive in. Lord, we're opening your word, a word that has changed the world. Thank you for revealing to your apostle Paul the gospel of grace. Thank you for inspiring him to write words. Thank you then for ensuring through the centuries of time, against all odds, against the armies of man that have tried to destroy this book, you have caused it to endure, and we have it to this day, the words you breathed. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for its power. We pray that you'll teach us. I pray that you help me to speak truth, and you help all of us to hear truth and be transformed and empowered by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Paul is the guy that wrote this book, but before he was called Paul, he was called Saul, which sounds a little more Jewish, which is appropriate because Saul was Jewish. And he was not your average Jewish boy. He was as good a Jew as there can be, if you didn't know that. He writes about that in some of his other letters. He was very religious. He was around the time of Jesus. Um, interestingly, he was also a Roman citizen. So he had all the rights of citizen in Rome, but he was a very devout Jew, and he grew up with much teaching. He sat at the feet of a great Jewish teacher of the time, a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, who was famous, and he learned the Torah of God, the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the wisdom books, the, the book that we call the Old Testament, and that makes me want to pause and give you a commercial, because I just remembered that Anita's sitting here, and we have another home group starting on Friday, June 4th at her house. And she is one of the treasures that's sometimes hidden in our congregation who has a lot of insight into the Jewish roots of our faith. So if you'd like to know a little bit more about your place in the royal family of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to get a hold of this. I'll send you an email this week with more detail, but I wanted to say that. Now back to Saul, the guy that's Jewish, this commercial. Do you like that, Anita? You got prime time. Saul is someone who became faultless at following all of the Jewish rituals, the Sabbath keeping, 
the kosher food, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. And he became what is known as a Pharisee, which now in our terminology, we think, oh, the Pharisee is bad, but that's the wrong thinking. Pharisees were really heroes of the faith. And you, you, now you got to imagine, has, has anyone ever been, you, you've met someone who's like proud of their culture? Maybe, I, I, think, I think I've met some Brazilians and they are proud of their Brazilian culture and their football that we call soccer and um, the beautiful people and their music and their, and their food and they're just, they're proud to be Brazilian. So the, the Israelis, the Jewish people, the first century were like that only more so because not only do they have their cultural ethnic heritage, they had their religious heritage. They were the people who served the one true God, and they knew it, and they had the, they had the law that God wrote with his own finger, the Ten Commandments. They had the history of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. They were just proud people with this great heritage. That's Saul. He studied and became a Pharisee. Pharisee meaning he probably had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized by the time he was a young teenager. He studied and knew the word, and he would say, I was faultless in my religion. Kind of like Martin Luther, though, he was not fulfilled. He discovered that all of the law of God could do was teach him that he didn't fulfill it. It didn't give him power to become a different person. Nevertheless, he tried and tried and tried. And then this Jesus guy came along and claimed to be the Jewish Messiah and was killed. But then there were some people that said he rose from the dead, but Saul knew that had to be a lie because people don't rise from the dead. And Jesus couldn't have been the Jewish Messiah because Saul was a Pharisee and he knew better, right? So he began to persecute these people that were part of the way that followed Jesus. And with the authority of the Jewish leadership called the Sanhedrin, he would put people in prison that were followers of Jesus. He would take away their property. Some of them he even had killed. So he's this righteous, religious, Jewish, Pharisee guy. This is Saul. And this is the backstory for Galatians, in case you forgot what we're talking about. So he's on his way one time to um, get some more people far away from Jerusalem, captured in prison, stop this Jesus movement. It's not of God. We got to put an end to it. That's Saul. On his way, who should show up but Jesus himself? He stops Saul on the road. Saul falls to the ground. There's a bright light, and it's noon, and the light is so bright that it overshadows the lightness of the noonday sun. He's blinded by the light, and he knows that he's having one of these experiences with God, and he's terrified, and he says, here's this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me from heaven? Can you imagine the drama? This is the backstory of Galatians. And he goes, who are you, Lord? And the, and the voice from heaven says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And he goes, oh, snap, because he knows that he's about ready to have the earth open up and right, he's going to go down or something. But that doesn't happen. Instead, Jesus tells him to go to a place where he's going to get healed of his blindness, filled with the Holy Spirit and instructed what to do. And he is called at that time and more fully as time progresses to be one of the apostles, just like the twelve. Only he has a specific message to take the message of salvation by faith in Jesus alone to the non-Jewish nations, even though he's Jewish, to the Gentile nations. And he has an explosive understanding of God's plan for the world. Explosive change, and he begins to teach it. Now, I want to show you 
kind of a simple graphic. Now it's time to show that graphic that might help you understand a change in thinking. So on the top is the Old Testament view, the Hebrew view, the Jewish view of time. It was um, a dualistic way of thinking that we are currently in this present evil age where pagan kingdoms rule over the people, the Jewish people of God. Things are bad, we're oppressed, but a day is coming, you see kind of a lightning bolt called the day of the Lord, when God will end everything end this present evil age and launch the new age when all the evil people will be done away with and Israel will become God's nation, a Messiah will rule from Israel and all these promises in the Old Testament will come true. They expected that. And that didn't exactly happen when Jesus came and died. Rome was still ruling, the pagan empire was still ruling over Israel and bad stuff was still going on. Well, what he learned was the lower view that you see up there, the New Testament view that says something completely unexpected happened. They didn't understand it. But now in reading the Old Testament prophecies, his eyes are open and he has a revelation of how things really are. That before the final end of the age, before that final day of the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, has come in and he's died and rose again and inaugurated the future age now. And the two ages are going in tandem. So you see kind of a line of the age to come above and the present evil age on the, on the bottom. And a day is coming when Jesus will return and end completely the present evil age. But for now, we live in the time of overlap. Where Jesus has come, people are saved from this present evil age without it ending. And they get to experience the life of the future now. So in the end times, there will be absolute righteousness and all sin will be done away with. In the present, this Messiah has come not to conquer Rome, but to conquer a much bigger empire, the empire of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus has defeated Satan with his death on the cross. And Paul was like, whoa, I get it. Something bigger has happened. He didn't defeat Rome yet. He defeated the power behind Rome. He defeated Satan. He took away sin by his death. He has abolished the power of Satan and sin. And we who put our faith in Jesus now can experience righteousness before the final day, before the final day of the Lord. We have our sins completely forgiven. We can experience the power of resurrection life now before that time comes. We can experience, in that day, there will be no more sickness, disease, suffering, mourning, sorrow. We can, in Christ right now, experience at least a taste of that which is to come. Jesus' death destroyed the power of Satan and sin. Jesus' resurrection inaugurated the time of resurrection that is to come. So that's, part, that's, that's all in the gospel. Well, he began to follow Jesus. And, well, I'm sorry, you guys, I gave you some scriptures that I want to read right now, and I'll put them up. The, next, the first scripture I want to read is Colossians, where he talks about what I'm just talking about, so you just so you can hear it. He wrote to the church in Colossians, this is Paul writing, We give thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This is language that goes along with the graphic I just showed you. He's rescued us from the dominion or kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. So, so salvation, now Paul understands, is not just you became a good Jew. It's everything's changed in your life, and you've had a change of kingdoms. You've had a change of sovereignties. This, by the way, the second view is why we talk about doing activate love. It's why we say, you know, you could have your next hello turn into a holy hello. Because the age of the future can break into the present evil age. What, what our sister experienced this morning with a vision was the age of the future breaking into the present evil age. While the present evil age goes on, the age to come is already coming. So Paul writes, salvation involves being rescued from the present evil age and taken into the kingdom to come. Um, in Galatians, we'll read this when we get to that point later on, but I'll just preview it. Paul writes to them, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Listen to the language of this new understanding. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Without ending it. Yeah, are you with me? This is really important as the backstory to Galatians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, these things, he's talking about some stuff that happened in the Old Testament in the context, but I just want to get to this one phrase. These things happened to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction, listen to this phrase, on whom the ends of the age have come. See that? So Paul had this understanding of the kingdom of God breaking in in Jesus before the final end. Changed his understanding of um, salvation, as being more than sins forgiven to go into heaven. It is that. It is the righteousness of God. But it is the breaking in of God's final kingdom now in a powerful, substantial, wonderful way. Gentiles, it turned out, could experience this salvation too without having to become Jews. That was an explosive thought. See, the Jews, in all their cultural, ethnic, and religious pride, were certain that for anyone to experience the presence of God in their life, they too had to become Jews. And Paul grew up thinking that. And now he's exploded with this new revelation. You know what? Anyone can put their faith in Jesus Christ and experience righteousness, rightness with God, right standing with God, salvation, and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, anyone, without becoming Jewish. And that was an explosive revelation that got him in all sorts of trouble. All sorts of trouble. So, He's following Jesus. He's doing his, his just, you know, being a Christian, teaching people about Jesus. And this happens. This is Acts 13. Um, so, you know, we're moving along through the book of Acts, the story of the early church. He's hanging out in a church at Antioch, not Pisidian Antioch. That's important to know, but another Antioch, Syrian Antioch. And there are prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod. Can you imagine that? Is in this church. And Saul, and while they're worshiping the Lord, fasting, praying, the Holy Spirit said, this is an inbreaking of the future kingdom now, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. So after they laid their hands on them, they sent them out, and they get moving to tell people in the nations who are not Jewish about the Messiah, Jesus, and salvation. This is backstory for Galatians, right? Guess where they go? They go to a region called Galatia. And there... They end up at a place, I said this was important, a different Antioch called Pisidian Antioch. It's a, it's a city in Galatia, the region of Galatia. They go there, they go into the synagogue, and they start telling the Jewish people and the Gentile believers in God, 
this message. Here's part of the message recorded in Acts 13. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know, this is Paul Barnabas in a Jewish synagogue. Sabbath. There are some Gentile devout believers in the back row, because that's where they had to sit, and then the, the rest of the Jewish congregation. I want you to know, he says, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from the law of Moses. So he's preaching this message of the gospel of grace in a synagogue. Here's what happens. A few verses later, verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. All is good until the next sentence. Well, the next few sentences, um, two sentences later. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and they talked with them, and they urged them to continue with the grace of God. Now listen to this. On the next Sabbath, there was an inbreaking of God's kingdom. Something that's not naturally possible happened. The next Sabbath, almost the entire city showed up at the synagogue. How did that happen? I don't know, but it happened. One of the signs of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God are these moments of revival when God, by his spirit, begins to move people that you didn't even talk to, to draw them to him and to draw them to you. And all of a sudden, like the city is, is buzzing, and they show up, and the Jewish leaders, when they saw the crowds, were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. And here is a pattern that's going to happen over and over again. We're in Galatia. Paul's telling people about Jesus. They're believing him. The Jewish people are upset. So they kick him out of town. So he goes to another city, another city called Iconium. It's in Galatia. Here's more of the same kind of story. This is Acts 14. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke effectively to a great number of Jews and Gentiles. Sounds similar. It's just what they did in the previous city. But the Jews refused believe, to believe, stirred up the Gentiles, and poisoned their minds against Paul and his brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. Watch this, more inbreaking. Who confirmed the message of his grace, the gospel of grace. He confirmed that message by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jewish people that didn't like Paul. Some sided with Paul, with the apostles, the sent ones. And then there was a plot set afoot among the Jewish Gentiles to mistreat them and even stone them to death. So they skedaddled out of there and went to the next city. We're still in Galatia. Still telling the backstory of how Paul got to write this letter that we're going to read. And it's really important to understand all this. So now they go to a city called Lystra, another inbreaking of God's future age into the present. Paul is speaking. He's teaching them about the grace of God. And there's a man sitting in about there. I think, I don't know, I wasn't there, but let's just say he was about there. And he is lame in his feet and has never walked. And while Paul's speaking, the Holy Spirit jumps into Paul's mind with a word of knowledge and says to him, Paul, I know you're preaching good, but I got something else I want to do because that guy right there has faith to be healed. And Paul listens to the Holy Spirit, stops what he's doing and says, and shouts, it says, Stand up on your feet and be healed. And that man has never walked. His feet don't work. Jumps to his feet and begins walking around. Inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Revival. Now, that's my version of salvation. You know, 
well, my sins are forgiven and I get to go to heaven when I die. And I'll just endure till the end. No, this is a better version of salvation. This is Paul's message. This is why when we get to Galatians, we'll see that he is so angry that someone's brought in some other version of salvation. So, so what happens though, is this is a pagan Gentile group of people, right? And, and they have a temple to Zeus, the God outside the city. And, and these people go, wow, someone got healed. The gods must have come down. I think that, that Barnabas, that's Zeus, and that Paul guy, since he's the spokesman, he must be Hermes. They're coming in the flesh. Let's go get the priest of the temple of Zeus, and we'll offer sacrifices to the gods. So they bring a parade, and they bring a bull, and they're going to try to do a sacrifice, and Paul and Barnabas go, no, we're just men like you. Stop this nonsense. You need to trust in Jesus. And a bunch of people give their life to Jesus, and now there's more followers of Jesus who have experienced the gospel of grace in this city called Lystra. But guess what happens? The people from Iconium that don't like Paul send a group of people, and they start stirring up the people against Paul, so much so that they turn against Paul and Barnabas, and they stone Paul, drag him out of the city, thinking that he's dead. This is the background to Galatians. So now Paul's laying dead outside the city of Lystra, and the group of new disciples that just came to Jesus, maybe he is dead, we don't know, they gather around him, they pray for him, he gets up and goes back into the city. Then he goes to the next city, Derby, and does the same thing again. And he goes into the Jewish synagogue, and he tells him about the grace of Jesus, and Jesus can forgive you for your sins that the law of Moses couldn't forgive you for. Put your faith in Jesus. The Jews believe. The Gentiles believe. There's revival. Some Jews don't like it. They come and attack him. And that's how there are a bunch of little churches all over this region called Galatia. Did you know that? Isn't that a great story? There should be a movie about this. There probably is. So now... Some time passes. There's these churches. Paul has come back and encouraged them. And some people that are Jewish believers in Jesus, full of their cultural heritage and love for their way of Judaism, say this. Those pagan Gentiles, they're still living like Gentiles. They're not real Christians. If they were real Christians, their men would get circumcised like Abraham said we have to do. If they were real Christians, they'd eat kosher food. If they were real Christians, they'd follow the holy days. If they were real Christians, they'd observe a Sabbath the way that we do. They're not real Christians. And they went and went into these areas where there's now these new believers in Jesus, and they started telling them, you know, that Paul guy, he's pretty good, but he told you you just have to believe in Jesus, and that's not quite enough. It's Jesus plus something. Believing in Jesus is not enough. Certainly, obviously, everyone knows you got to do something. You got to stop sinning. You men need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. You guys all need to study the law of Moses and follow the food laws. I heard that some of you are still eating shrimp and you had a pork barbecue the other day. Sinful. Stop it. You're not real Christians. And we make fun of it, but it was serious. And they said a few more things. They said, that Paul guy, he's not really an apostle, by the way. God, can't really trust him. He, see, he kind of learned from the apostles in Jerusalem, but we did too. And Paul didn't get the message right. And he's come and given you kind of a false gospel, but listen to our gospel, and we'll tell you how to be really saved. And they started believing it, and they started believing that. Maybe that Paul guy is wrong. Has, have any of you had someone knock on your door on Saturday morning at 11 a.m.? and say, we want to tell you about the kingdom of God. 
And you're close, you Christians, but you need to come to our church and you need to use our name for God. And by the way, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Did you know that? And Jesus really isn't God. I've had that conversation at my door. Same concept. This is the backstory for Galatians. So, Paul writes a letter to this group of churches in Galatia, the letter we have in our hand today, that is his talking about faith in Jesus plus nothing, salvation by grace, the power of the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out, the power of the Holy Spirit to do signs and wonders in your midst. That's in chapter 3, by the way, if you're not familiar with that language. It says it in chapter 3, by Faith alone, not because you prayed right, not because you did the right works, not because anything, but you trusted in Jesus. And he's, this is an interesting letter. It's unlike all the rest of the letters of Paul because he's so passionate and he's so angry at the people who've perverted the gospel of Christ. And he's so perplexed that these people that he told about Jesus and he preached to them are so easily deceived to believe this other gospel that's no gospel at all. And the reality is there are probably people who have believed in Jesus today who have not learned to read this book a little bit, are not deep enough in their faith that they could withstand the same attack. And they might be some of you. So it would be good for you to read the book of Galatians so that when someone comes knocking at your door to try to undo the gospel that Paul preached, you'll go, mm, that's not true. So let's just read. The beginning of Galatians, we're doing good with time. This is the, only the intro day. Are you liking this? Oh, good, good congregation, good class, okay. So if you didn't know this, if you're new to reading the Bible, uh, much of the Bible is actually just letters that someone wrote, and we're going to read a letter that Paul wrote. I'm sorry, his name was Saul, but he changed his name to Paul, in case you're wondering why I started calling him Paul. Paul is more of a Greek name. Saul is more of a Jewish name. He's ministering to the Greeks, the Gentiles. That's what he's called to do. So in ancient letter writing, it's not like when we write a letter today, when you get to the bottom of the letter, you say, sincerely, Ron. Their letters, they start at the top saying, I'm Ron going to write to you. So you know who it's from and you don't have to scroll to the end. So that's how this starts out. Here is Galatians 1. Paul an apostle, so you always start, who's writing the letter? Watch what he says immediately undoing some of the false accusations. Sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle sent by Jesus Christ, just so you know what he's saying. By Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, all the brothers with me. And his next sentence, as he just opens up this letter, is a summation of the gospel of grace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. All the stuff that I started saying with his Old Testament view, New Testament view, kingdoms being taken out of the present evil age's authority over my life without being the present evil age ending. So we have two kingdoms running in parallel kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness, which is just what Jesus said would happen. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. To him be glory forever. 
never amen. That's kind of how often he starts his letters. Usually the next thing that you'll read in one of Paul's letters is something like, I just thank God for you. I love you. Your work has been heard of throughout the world. You're doing a great job. Good church. I just write in to encourage you about some things. And he launches into his letter and then he usually prays. Not here, which sets Galatians apart. His next line, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Gospel meaning good news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be con eternally condemned. That's kind of a nice way to say let him be damned. That's what he's saying. Paul is, can I say, I, you know, you shouldn't say this word from the pulpit, pissed off. Sorry, I apologize. That was offensive. But that's the feeling. He is angry. He's mad. Let them be eternally condemned. I'm not sure if you were listening is the next sentence. As I've already said, I'll say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, when I came through Galatia and met you, and remember you stoned me and I got up, remember the guy that got healed and I told you the gospel of grace, that message, if anyone is telling you another message, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven, I don't care if it's me. If you hear another message, let that person be eternally condemned. And now his next sentence is another kind of hitting that back at some of the attacks that these false apostles have been bringing who said, you know, Paul is just trying to please people. And that's why he doesn't require a circumcision, because he wants you to like him. And he goes, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were try trying to please men still, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach to you is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And that's all I'm going to read from Galatians today. But I'm going to talk about that just a little bit. But I wanted you to get that intro. So could I just say a couple things and we'll celebrate communion? I'm sitting on a book. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> that was funny. Grace and peace, verse 3 to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Just don't miss this. Part of the gospel is the offense that we are sinful. And it's not a simple sin that's easily taken care of. What did God give to deal with our sins? He gave his son, and Jesus gave himself. Don't miss the immense weight of sin. He didn't give some gold because of our sin. He didn't give some plan of good works because of our sin. He didn't give a system of one hour of prayer every morning because of our sin. He gave the eternal Son 
of God, the one without beginning, the one without end, the perfect one, the one who has no fault, the one who is incredibly powerful, the one through whom all creation came to be, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, that one had to be given for our sin, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. This is worth stopping and being amazed. Our sin was great, but his grace was greater, we sing. And it came only from his love. We'll read later that Paul says that the life I live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've missed that part of the story, folks, Jesus and the Father saw you and loved you and gave them. The Father gave the Son and the Son gave himself up for you only because he loves you so much. You are loved by God. You are made in his image and you are extremely valuable, but that is not to say that you are not without sin. It's very popular today for people to not believe in sin and to not believe that we're that bad. It's the same message that's always been there. But if we didn't have to have the Son of God give his own life and shed his own lifeblood on the cross for our sins because we could take care of it ourselves, then God must be dumb. But he's not dumb. He's loving and he's all-wise and he knew what it would cost. And this is a message of the gospel. He gave himself for us and... He rescued us from this present evil age so that we could live in the power of the age to come. Now, that's remarkable. They saw that man get healed by the powers of the age to come. And yet, when someone came with another gospel, they were willing to turn it away to turn away the power of God that is by faith in Jesus alone for another gospel of religion. And Paul is astonished. He's like, what is wrong with you people? Don't do it. Verse six, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of God. He's, the, the people that came with this other message are often called Judaizers because they are from Judea. And they're bringing this message of you got to follow the laws of Moses. Paul said, if you listen to the Judaizers, it's an act of desertion. It's an act of treason. If we ever fall into the trap, and we're often tempted, that what people have to do is Jesus plus something. Put your faith in Jesus and stop drinking, then you'll be saved. It's probably good to stop drinking if that's your issue, but it won't help you get saved. We'll be baptized in our church. Well, no, no. <laughs> Put your faith in Jesus. There are sects today, sex, C-E-S-E-C-T, if you're wondering what word I was saying, not S-E-X, S-E-C-T. Sects today that say, if you want to be saved, you have to have someone in our church pray with you. I've run into those people. There's a group that I won't name, but they had an angel show up to teach them a new gospel. And they have a golden statue of that angel on a temple in San Diego that you can see from the five freeway. And their message is 
We believe in Jesus. Plus, you must do it our way. And in fact, if you're a woman and you want to be saved, you got to marry one of our men. Then you can be saved. It's, do, you know, do you know what their book is called? Another Gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? I have a copy. Another Gospel. It's the same story. If an angel shows up. So folks, what if we were gathered and an angel showed up here? Profound experience but brought another message. Would you have it in you to go, that's a cool angel, looks powerful, lies. We need to know the truth. And Paul is so, he's so concerned. That's why this book is really just not like, uh, but some interesting uh, meditations on God and stuff. This is the truth that if it's messed up with, destroys civilization. We need the truth of the gospel of grace. You and I need it because we are the ones who are now carrying the gospel of grace in our generation, on our planet, at our time. We are on the field. The ball's been passed to us. You understand that? Part of this gospel is you have been made right with God. Your sins have forgiven if you put your faith in Jesus. You've been rescued from the present evil age. It no longer has power over you. And you are also a rescuer of those who are under the power of the present evil age. So take your place. That's the message here. Do not settle for some other version of a gospel that makes you good religious people and makes you completely neutered. Oh, is, did that hurt? I, I didn't plan on saying that, so <laughs> sorry if that was offensive. Uh, this is important. You know, somewhere I wrote down, and I've lost it now. You know how I like to say the sermon in a sentence? Where is it? Don't know where it is, so I'll just, mem I'll just go from memory. I, I thought I put together a simple sentence. Here's a sermon and sentence. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever underestimate its power. And never let anyone fool you into accepting a different gospel. So first, don't ever underestimate its power. It is the power of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. It's relevant. It's transformative. When someone puts their faith in Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Yes, their sins are forgiven, but so much more. Because now their relationship with God is restored. Their relationship with people can be restored. Their relationship with themselves and the insanity of a broken soul that's not in correct relationship with itself. That made sense to some of you, I hope. Is healed. Sanity comes. Wholeness comes. Integrity comes. The power of the gospel. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel to redeem us from our sins and to rescue us from this present evil age, to bring us into the kingdom of God where we taste and experience the powers of the coming age now. We are no longer under the control of Satan because his power has been broken. We're no longer under the power of sin because sin has been removed from us. And we are living in the new resurrection life before the final resurrection 
Because of those things, we can take our place in the kingdom of God. Don't ever underestimate the power of grace. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel. Now, having said that, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.